Welcome to No Challenges in Writing. I'm Ben Rothenberg. On day three of the 2021 Australian Open, I am thrilled to be joined at long last by someone I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time, my dear friend Andrew Eccles, who is the creator of The Spin, which is a Substack newsletter about tennis that can arrive to your inbox and bring it light and joy and wonderfulness. Andrew, thank you for being on here. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. You are obviously here to talk about tennis and, and talk, about, talk about tennis more generally, but you are specifically mm-hmm. here tonight on this day because you are an, a passionate fan, defender, celebrator, advocate for Sarah Arani, who is a often embattled, I would say, misunderstood potentially, underappreciated player. Oh, that, how, how would you describe your affinity for Sarah Arani and what does she mean to you? You know the Marie Kondo meme where she says, I'm so excited because I love mess. Um, I would say that's my relationship with Sarah Arani and has been for many, many, many years now. So I am a defender of Sarah Arani, but I'm also a clear-eyed defender of Sarah Arani, I would say. Um, so yeah, big, big fan. Kind of a strange day to be a Sarah Arani fan today. Not not really the day for it. But yeah, she's uh, she's moving through the tournament anyway. I would disagree with that. I thought Sarah Ronnie actually, that's a little bit of criticism of her popping up as this match went on, but I thought she handled herself really, really well. So Sarah Ronnie was in this second round match today on John Kane Arena. Holt, as I call it, John Hold the Mick Kane Arena. She was playing against Venus Williams. She was winning. Let's look at this part clear. She was winning comfortably in this yep. match. She was up 5-1. Uh, Venus had not managed to break serve in the match, which was sort of very anti-Irani pattern, that Irani was holding three times against anybody, much less a player of Venus's caliber. Yeah, that was somewhat of a unicorn first set anyway. And then, so Venus is trailing 1-5. She's playing, Irani hits a net cord Venus, as Venus is coming towards the, the net. Venus has a split step, and Venus uh, rolls her right ankle, and it appears maybe it's some sort of compensatory injury as well, also, like, tweaks her left knee. That's something to both legs is very quickly in distress, lets out this, like, really incredible sort of, like, roar, this, like, injured lion sort of roar. And it was just very, it was very striking and powerful and sad to see Venus, who's had been a really, really solid player in the month of January before this set. It was distressing. It was distressing to see and hear her like that, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. So Venus takes a long medical timeout, um seems pretty unlikely that she'll be able to continue the match, but she soldiers on and plays on and doesn't win a game. But after, after the, before the second set, she starts sort of stretching more, running around a bit more and commits herself to like at least running a bit or doing what she can in terms of being a little bit more mobile, still really can't push off on her serve. Can't do much. There were a few competitive games in this second set, um, but Arani won them all for what was a 6-1, 6-0 win for Sarah Arani. But I think Venus, again, was is the more striking character in this match. And what and what she did, it was, it was again, I think I called it like one of the most like, impressive, awe-inspiring, life-affirming 1-6-0-6 losses you'll ever see from anybody. Because it, it was really, it was really, 
impressive. And the, the World 2 commentator I was watching really didn't seem to understand it very well. He was sort of like, right. well, she's going to do further damage. I don't know why she why she wouldn't just quit or whatever. And it's like, that's not the point. This is like that's about the thing. her. Like, yeah. So, I mean, the thing that we know about Venus is how much she loves playing the game, right? And she she doesn't want to quit. She wants to keep playing because she loves it. And I thought that it was like a real kind of champion's way of of going out of the tournament and the fact that she stuck with it she still played some pretty great rallies um during the second set like she had moments where she kind of looked a lot better obviously she couldn't move but she could certainly strike still and was was going for it and irani was trying to make her you know run around to drop shots and lobs and things maybe not as much as she should have done actually <laughs> she could yeah. have probably drop shotted venus a bit more but um, no, I think what Venus actually did in the second set was really impressive. The fact that she played it at all was extremely impressive. And she seems to just want to play on her terms. Like it, it was very easy to pick to think big picture at Venus's career during this match, right? Mm-hmm. Like Venus is going to do things her way. She's going to stop when she's damn well ready to stop. Whether or not you think she's capable of winning like she used to, whether or not it's you know tough to watch, whether or not she's you know hampered in various ways she wants to to do it she still has a great passion for the game and for the sport and for competing and for giving it her all and all those things were were you know at once it was sort of a, a bittersweet kind of feeling at times like it was really cool to see her do it it was tough to know watching her that she couldn't do it and to see her know that on some level too because when she was sort of in when she was in tears which you don't see much for Venus too when she was in tears during the medical timeout it was pretty clear to me that it was less about physical pain and more about the disappointment of like, oh man, I'm going to lose this match. I can't compete fully in this match. I've worked so hard to have this dumb ankle roll off a neck cord reaction step, like do in my tournament. And that was, that was the hard part to watch. Yeah. And like, it definitely was, it was nerve wracking watching it and, and kind of hoping that she wasn't doing herself too much more damage, you know, like it was definitely kind of a, a scary watch and kind of just thinking about like the tournaments that she could play the rest of the year. Um, like you hope that she hasn't done more damage, but it was impressive nonetheless. And like, we all know that Venus can, can have kind of a good run. Like she can have um, a tournament where she does really well. Like a few years ago, she kind of defied the odds and had just like a really great year. So we know that that can happen again. So I just, I hope that the long-term damage hasn't been done, but I just think that it was really fulfilling watching her fight for it. And I think anybody who watches that and isn't impressed, like I, I don't know what match they were watching. I mean, she did a great, great job. And it was one of those things where, yeah, in terms of, extra tournament. I think the next tournament she really cares about is Wimbledon, honestly. So right. so long and that's five months away. And the other thing that's I think is I was talking about this with the guests on the show yesterday, the players who were on the show yesterday. Just everything being magnified in Australia. I think it's, it must be incredibly tough to throw in the towel and stop a match in the first set when you were quarantining for fourteen days, you know, to and she was an Adelaide group, but still in fourteen days to play essentially a grand slam event like the stakes and just the investment in that tournament feels so high you just wouldn't want to wouldn't want to give it up especially when you're with venus i'm sure she's not immune to that sort of amplification as well oh for Uh, sure we saw it with gail monfils the other day in in press getting like really emotional and like of course because it's been like a huge upheaval i think like everybody in the world right now is kind of at that point with with covid where we've all kind of hit a bit of a wall and i'm that is the same for tennis players who are just humans. Um, so yeah, for them to have kind of gone through all of this to get to play 
the tournament and then to go out early is going to be really hard for anyone and for Venus in these circumstances it just sucks so I feel I feel really terrible for her I thought it was really shocking how long it took um for help to be called to the court because she was clearly in pain and it was actually Irani who asked for the help to be brought to the court in the end, yeah. which was kind of kind of wild to me. It wasn't um, it didn't take that long. I mean it, it, was, like, it was there like less than a minute. It was less than a minute, but it was enough time that like it, w- it and was And the chair empire had to go down his like, little elevator with his like motorized chair. He couldn't just climb down the ladder like normally he had to wait for his little elevator chair to come down. That was that was sort of yeah. Painful it all to watch. felt a little bit slow, but maybe it was just because the horror show felt like it was happening in slow motion because you just never want to see Venus in that pain. No, definitely not. But I did. I really did think it was actually a very classy performance through all of it from Sarah Ronnie. She was muted. She was still focused. She was still you know hitting drop shots and the occasional lob or whatever, but not too much. And that's her game. And I I will never begrudge a player against an injured opponent who's still in the match, who hasn't thrown in the towel, who's still competing and trying to win the match and trying to knock <laughs> you out of the tournament, you know, to be like, what gives me the best chance of winning these points and getting through this match? It's respect. It's a sign of respect to the, to the opposition that you're still trying to win the points. You're not just, like, lobbing the ball back to her because Venus was still smacking winners and going for lines and stuff, and so Sarah did what she had to do there. Um, I want to get to Sarah more. She's still in the tournament. We'll be seeing more of her. More about the appeal of her because we've mentioned her her serve briefly this this it was more of a thing for me with elena dementia honestly than and I'm, i haven't been a a tennis fan per se you know as my real sort of role in the sport during most of ronnie's career but during the dementia times i was always super attracted to her as a player because there was this glaring weakness in her game in her serve and i found that really incredibly endearing and you know, inspiring and just interesting to watch somebody who's on court who has a thing that they can't really do. I find this the same way with other players who sort of have, I'm trying to think of who examples of it are. I mean, like the most sort of like, most players are pretty well-rounded these days, but just an example. If, if there was a player who has like, like when Naomi Brody, <laughs> it's a deep cut, when Naomi Brody said <laughs> a really bad backhand back in the day, it was always like interesting to watch her because you just knew that, like, that was her. She was in trouble and she started hitting backhands. And, like, she had these things that she couldn't do. And she got much better when she got towards top 100 at that um, and really completely reno- renovated her her technique. But, um, yeah. So, like, just, Nicolescu it, only hitting forehands. Yeah, Nicolescu is a great example of it. Nicolescu, right. So, Nicolescu not hitting dry forehands and having her own sort of, like, homemade MacGyvered tennis style that she does. It's beautiful. Um, it's yeah. beautiful. And I, and I find something about the way that everyone has their own skill set in tennis. I remember Jeannie Bouchard once saying about Ronnie, in a story, I was working on a story on Ronnie that never got published for it. It just wasn't time during one clay season. And Bouchard's something which I really liked, which is like, you have to really focus on her serve when you're playing her because it is going to be almost certainly the easiest shot you see in the entire rally. And then it's just right. going to be like hard from then on. And yeah, and then Ronnie, who's had like huge serving over the last three years, has had shoulder issues, has like reverted to mostly underarm serving at various points. That she is like still persevering after after Tortellini and everything. I don't know. I, I find <laughs> it's her. Been a I wild. find her. Yeah, there are times when I when I I've had a couple moments with Irani in her career where like I'm watching her and I'm like, this is just the most sublime, wonderful thing ever. And then other times where I just I'm just sort of like, what is any of this? Ugh. And like both both I think are truths in my in my heart. So I think I was radicalized to um, Sarah Rani fandom um, during her um, 2012 run at the French Open and at the US Open. Mm-hmm. And like that French Open run to the final, like she 
she was beating like really great players before losing in that final. And then she did the kind of same at the US Open three. I mean, the US Open draw was actually a lot easier than the French Open draw, um, even though the, the clay court is obviously more co- comfortable for her. Um, but she lost in the semifinals of the US Open to Serena. And I think that was really the year that I started to kind of get on board with Irani a little bit more. And it was funny because it was it's similar to what you were saying. I was a huge Dementia fan. Dementia was my the first player that I was really a big fan of and she was kind of my entryway into tennis and it was because of that fatal flaw of the serve and then the kind of perfection basically of the rest of her game like the absolute perfection yeah. of the rest of her that's game the, that's the thing i was going to say with with dementia was different because with dementia oh, she was sure. exceptional at lots of parts of the game right like the sure. the, the ground stroke were flawless Irani doesn't have that Irani's she other weapons not. are more are less her, her gifts are less obvious let's put it that way Right. right, but I say that as someone who's been a top five player who qualified for Istanbul back to back years. Like the results are indisputable, but the 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 path is less, you know, easy easily spotted. I li- I really like a tennis player who kind of doesn't have like this kind of traditional weapons. I really like a tennis player who has to kind of figure it out and kind of grit their way through. Uh, a match so I think that's what really appeals to me about Sara Irani I had a a similar love of Marion Bartoli when when she was around because she was so like her her game just looked so weird to me as well and I just found that fascinating so yeah I think that's why I like Sara I think Sara is definitely an imperfect uh, player Um, she's definitely a controversial person but she uh, there's just something about her that's really entertaining to watch and I think that this is a really interesting tournament for her it's really high stakes you know, she hadn't beaten anyone in the top 50 since Charleston 2018. Oh, wow. Then she, then that was, uh, yeah, that was in Charleston 2018. That was Buzanescu, actually, when Buzanescu was top 50. And then Wang was the first person in the top 50 that she'd beat in the first round of this tournament. So for her to then come through another round is like really high stakes, actually, for Sarah. Say, so it's interesting to see how um, her 2021 is going to be. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see if, like, the, you know, obviously this win over Venus has, like, a huge asterisk over it, although she was winning before the injury. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what more she can make of her year. And I'm very interested to see what more she can make of her tournament, even. It's not over. She is now in the third round and gets a really fun match in the next round against Shea Suwei, who uh, is another player who has a very unique uh, bag of tricks, more more sort of celebrated, I think, among tennis hipsters than Irani. Even even Irani, it's like a deeper cut in terms of affection for the game. Shea Suwei did her thing against Bianca Andreescu, who wasn't, I don't think, that good today. Andreescu, I think no. this was, it was, this was not Shea being peak, I don't really think. It was just sort of her setting a bar that Andrescu just wasn't able to sort of match consistently more than like, because, because when she, because when Shay like did her 2018 Australian open run where she beat Muguruza and Redvanska back to back, that was like, and then, and took a set off Kerber. That was like really transcendent peak, like highlight reel cat and mouse Shay. This was like a little bit more second gear kind of Shay for me. Some of those returns were not second gear. Yeah. Some of those returns observed were not second gear Shay. They were like really impressive today. Um, and I loved watching her return uh, Bianca's serve today. I thought it was it was really fascinating. And she's just so entertaining. I mean, so is Bianca, right? Like Bianca, it's it's really great to see Andreescu back on the court. But yeah, I mean, this is like the worst person to play against. Like your second match back after yeah. a year and a half. <laughs> 
yourself. You don't want to be playing against Shay. And yeah, it was it was a, it was a little bit of a beat down in the end, but uh, it was a very entertaining one. So let's talk about this tournament more broadly. So these these women are in obviously the bottom half of the women's draw. They are in the quarter, which is the Osaka quarter, I believe. And the winner of of the Shea Irani match will play the winner of Androsheva Kirstea. So it's a pretty open section of the draw to reach the quarterfinals there. Mm-hmm. But I want to just talk about this tournament more generally. Watching, we're both watching this from our homes on the U.S. East Coast. What what has been your impression of this tournament so far? Are you are you enjoying it? Are you? Is it been good? Has it been? Everything's weird these days. So I don't want to say has it been weird because I think every every we know everything is weird. But what is it? What has it been like? So here's my thing. So I thought that the U.S. Open and the French Open at the end of last year both had very distinct personalities, right? So I thought that the U.S. Open, like it felt like you were on a college campus, it felt like you were watching college sports, and all the players were kind of in the stadium watching each other, drinking their drinks. Most of the guys had their shirts off. Like it was this like very kind of collegiate atmosphere. And then the French Open was this kind of just like sad Paris <laughs> situation where it was just yeah. so like damp and malaise yes muddy yeah it was it was deeply depressing actually i thought the french open but at least it had that kind of like parisian depression that was kind of interesting to watch the australian open so far is weird i think that the having some crowd there is great it's nice to hear some crowd it's really different than say the Adelaide exhibition, which was packed and felt like really electric and exciting. And I was thinking, Oh man, the Australian open is going to be amazing because this is what's what it's going to feel like. And then we've gotten there and there's not that many people in the crowd. Actually, it's like a different situation. So it's not, it's not quite as alive. Therefore, as I was expecting, I think Adelaide set unrealistic expectations. I think that's such a good point that people should bring up more. And I had thought about that briefly, but it's good that you focus on it there. I do think part of the reason I've been so sort of thrown off or disappointed maybe by the by the warm, the Melbourne warm-up tournament crowds, which were even weaker, we were very, very empty during that week. Um, mm-hmm. And now the Australian Open crowds have been pretty meager so far. I mean, like some of the stadiums maybe are maybe are like 20% full, 15% full, maybe. But you're right, because the Adelaide, Adelaide was our first look at what live tennis would look like in Australia. And it was packed. It was like pretty much right. with a capacity for those matches, even just for an exhibition, they were there. And I, I'm i wondering if like the, if Melbournians are just like really picking their spots. They're like, okay, we'll just go get tickets so that we don't have like this sort of energy, you know, because even though they don't have COVID, I think a lot of them are still, you know, taking time to ramp back up towards normal life and being comfortable in crowds and things like that. Again, so maybe they're like, maybe we'll just go get like one session for like the semis or the final. Maybe we'll all get better by the end. Or or maybe it just, maybe there's just not a lot of, I don't know, enthusiasm for it. Because like even with the caps, like the cap for the, I know the day one numbers, the cap for attendance was 30,000 and they got 17,000. Like that is right. way below the cap. And of course, they don't have anybody traveling in from overseas. Yeah, exactly. Or anything That's a like huge that. part. Yeah. So that that causes problems. But I, I mean, I do, I do kind of suspect there'll be more crowds for the semifinals, for the final. I think it'll it's ramp kind up. of a different. I think it's a different thing going to a one-off event in Adelaide than it is kind of picking your day at a two-week event when you're still a little bit nervous about COVID. So I'm kind of hoping that it will pick up a little bit. But yeah, it's definitely made the start of the tournament strange because. It's just not what Adelaide made me expect. And um, so, yeah, the personality is kind of odd so far. I also think there's kind of an imbalance in the draw. So I found day one and today a lot more entertaining than I did day two. 
just because of the kind of matchups that we've been getting. And then, of course, today ended up being quite dramatic anyway. I mean, the day's not even <laughs> done yet, and it's, there's already been quite a lot of drama. So I think that it's kind of a little bit imbalanced right now, but I'm sure it will kind of all filter out as we get through the tournament. And hopefully by the end of it, we'll have a clearer picture of what the character of this of this slam was. And I think just during COVID, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to gauge that early on. I do think the tennis has been pretty great quality, though. I mean, considering everybody was locked up in hotel rooms like people are still playing kind of good ball and it's 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 always that kind of nice thing at the beginning of the year right when people have had the off season to kind of re-strengthen and they're less tired so I still think there's an element of that and a bit little bit of cleaner ball striking which is nice to see even though folks have been locked up yeah no I think that generally Australia always has the highest quality tennis everybody's at their fittest the ball mm-hmm. striking is good. And yeah, some people are compromised, but look at like Serana Kirstea I mentioned in that section of the draw. She was in hard quarantine and was very vocally upset about it. Und- you know, I understand that. And she just beat Petra Kvitova today, 6-1 in the third. Right. Kvitova was not a hard quarantine player. So that's uh, a pretty remarkable win for her. And yeah, people are, you know, tennis- these are impressive athletes. They're resilient people. And we see that even obviously when they're not winning, like Venus, again, today bring it sort of full circle, even when they're not able to produce, you know, winning tennis, their spirits can still be pretty, pretty triumphant in their own ways. So that's what we saw. Especially when your name is Williams. Exactly. For sure. Serena also, by the way, was really impressive today in her match against Nina Stojanovic. She was so good. Stojanovic was good and got like, and was really actually really good and got three games. I'm high on Serena in this tournament. I am She's been impressive. She's been impressive. I think she looks really good. I think like the attitude she like seems to have right now seems really cool. Like I think that she's, she's playing really strong. I'm trying not to get too (laughs) kind of ahead of myself before second week with, with Serena kind of see how she goes. She's also wearing the best kit she's worn in a long time. This kit Mm. is awesome. So I think that's kind of bringing some of the personality to the to the tournament. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited by uh, what Serena's bringing so far. Any men's thoughts before we move to your plug? During this match, also, I was keeping an eye on uh, Francis Tiafo gave Novak Djokovic a tougher than expected match, uh, losing in four pretty tight sets. One of those things where it was like, because it's best of five, there was never actually a moment where you thought Djokovic was in danger per se, but Tiafo made him work for it more than expected. He's going to Djokovic awaiting the winner of Ropelka versus Fritz, which is on court now. Stan Wawrinka, your your sweater wearing guy. Sad to see Stan go down in five. Lost a, a roller coaster five setter uh, to Martin Fuchsovic. Uh, After having yeah. a number of match points as well, that was that was a real a real shame for Stan. But it was it was impressive. It was impressive comeback. So I'll I'll say that. But yeah, poor old poor old Vavrinka was kind of on the brink there. I'm I'm keeping an eye on Felix. I think that after the loss in the final last week, it's going to be interesting to see how Felix bounces back. He's been I don't know how he. I think he's still playing right now as we're talking. He won. Right? He won. He, he beat he beat Duckworth. He's going to play Shapovalov, his Canadian bro in the uh third round great so like i think it's really good to see him kind of bouncing back from the disappointment of that final against evans at the end of last week and especially with this kind of record now that he's he's got of kind of losing in finals even though he's still so young and i don't think it matters that much i think it's more impressive that he made the finals but we can have that fight another day i'm sure i don't want to fight about it but i will say like as much as he's still young i completely agree with all that like oh and seven starts to be concerning 
Like, you just worry that it's in his head. Like, seven is a number where it's getting up there to a point where that's not just chance, right? That's something that's going wrong for him in those matches. I think it's something that he wants to deal with. I think it's something that he needs to kind of, like, get handled before it becomes, like, an even more long-term mental But once you get one, you're good. Once you get one, then you're fine. Exactly. He just needs to get off his back. And he's still really young. So I think that having made seven finals is, like, really impressive. And also, Mm -hmm. by the way, the age of the tour just gets higher every year and i think that we maybe need to kind of reset expectations of how old somebody needs to be when they start kind of winning because people are just kind of sticking around for longer i think so i don't know people need to kind of take it easy on felix a little bit i think he's doing great i i sort of hear that but i also think it's gonna be like the women's game where there's been like a sudden crash towards youth in a pretty recent times right where all of a sudden if you're not paying attention you don't notice all the same winners are like under 24 now like, they're all super, super young. And I think the men's game is sort of like the older generation will get there, like Djokovic and Nadal. And, like, once they're gone, poof, they'll be like, oh, wait, it's just literal children here, or whoever it winds <laughs> up being. So so we'll see there. Uh, I want to talk to you, Andrew, about The Spin, the which spin. is your sub-stack, which you started about a month ago now. Yes. Yeah. What motivated you? And you've written uh, for, for me and Racket Magazine before and I written for have. tennis as well. Uh, sort of I've written about tennis before this as well. I've a few various blogs. What was your motivation for doing this? And what are you hoping to convey as the spin spins into inboxes? Sure, yeah. So it had been I'd I'd, you know, written for Racket recently. And um, but aside from that, it had been a little a little while since I'd been um doing some writing. And so I wanted to kind of make my return. <laughs> um and so yeah, I started the spin because I felt like I wanted to create something that's kind of a fun, kind of conversational weekly newsletter that kind of looks back on the action that's happened every week. Not necessarily a play-by-play of the matches, but looking more at kind of on and off call drama, um, some of the news, some of the fun stuff that's been happening, probably a little bit of fashion mixed in, a Diana Yastremska update, all the important stuff. Um, um, so uh yeah we try i try to keep it kind of light and fun um and yeah it just gets sent to people's inboxes every sunday afternoon depending on where they are in the world and it's kind of a little a little tennis community that's that's building quite nicely actually i'm really pleased how many people are are signing up to receive it so um yeah it's it's really fun to do and uh, hopefully more people will will join we'll put a link in the description to the spin Thank you for spinning your way here, Andrew, on short notice <laughs> after this match, and enjoy the rest of your Australian Open. Thanks for having me, Ben. Thank you to Andrew Eccles for being on the show. Thank you to all of you for listening, and thank you for those of you who support us on Patreon as well. We're at patreon.com slash no challenges remaining, where we have Patreon backers, including Andrew Eccles, whose name you will hear beginning of every month uh, as we do our on tour backers we want to thank our slam champ backers as well who we thank every episode they are liz kennel jonathan weinbaum mary carillo leah williams betty audrey wellens sean mulroy Susanna w jean simeon antonio maycumber and anna valinder and our goat backers mike nicole copeland pam shriver and jod that's it for us from day three bye guys So